Welcome back to Wells Preachers Podcast. We are at the fifth Sunday in Lent for year C. It's the final weekend for our series themed Crushed, where we're looking at how Jesus crushes all the things in life that we feel could crush us. Our theme for this particular day is that human rejection is crushed by divine exaltation. Our participants today are Pastor Jonathan Bauer of Good News Lutheran in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, Pastor Joel Rousseau of Faith Lutheran in Tallahassee, Florida, and Professor Sam Degner of Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hyde, coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. Uh, Joel Rousseau, I'm going to start with you. So the theme for this week mentions rejection. Um, that's something that we probably all experienced and something the people in the pews can relate to. The theme also mentions exaltation, which could refer to uh, like high praise of someone or refer to a feeling of extreme happiness. So the theme of the day contains these very emotionally charged words that I think are going to get our, our listeners to kind of perk up their ears. What do you hope is the main truth with this theme that people take home this weekend? So. <laughs> I guess one of the things I'd want them to walk away with is that they would treasure and prize what God exalts. And certainly in the text, you see that he exalts Christ as the cornerstone, uh, the foundation of our righteousness. And he exalts that that focus on Christ because we have that, that heavenward uh, goal and prize. But in the process of exalting those things, it means he has to crush something else. And so that he would crush, you know, it how the world despises Christ. But um, this was a question I actually had for John Bauer. I wonder if there's another double meaning in the theme uh, that he also crushes the, uh, you know, the, our own human rejection when we want to work our way or earn our way towards righteousness that you see how Paul just kind of crushes that. So crushing the world's opinion of Christ and crushing our own self-righteousness, that way Christ's righteousness is exalted. Well, he kind of he kind of threw it to you, John Bauer. Um, so, if that's the takeaway for this week, why don't you walk us through those those three lessons: Isaiah forty three, Luke twenty, and then our sermon lesson from Philippians three. How do they intersect and convey that theme? Yeah, Joel stated that very well. Um, I really like that to to treasure and and to treat as treasure that which God exalts. Um, and the, the challenge in that, or that's the, the, the setting in which we're faced with that opportunity is one where uh, human beings are going to have the exact opposite opinion uh, compared to God. And so when we start with, uh, if we start with the gospel, I think the key for that, the parable that Jesus tells there is to realize, you know, it's easy to see that it's a parable about the religious leaders who continually rejected the messengers that God sent and ultimately God's own son. But I think the key is to realize that Jesus told the parable not to those religious leaders. He told it to the people. He wanted them to know ahead of time, hey, the so-called experts uh, whose opinion is supposed to matter the most, this is what they are going to do with the Messiah. Don't be fooled. This stone that they cast aside is going to be the stone that God uses to, uh, to make the cornerstone of his church. And I think you have something similar in, in Isaiah 43 going on there. Um, Isaiah starts out, or that, that reading starts out with a reference to uh, the Exodus, which is kind of, um, you know, in terms of Israel's history, it's their pride and joy. This was their moment as a nation where they uh, were given 
their independence. And you think about all the miracles and, and wondrous acts that went along with that. And yet in these verses, God is, through Isaiah, God is directing the people's attention away from that uh, impressive display of God's power to something new and something different that he's going to bring them out of exile. And so again, you've got this, this tension, I think, between what the world would consider to be important and exalted and, and what God is saying. And then Philippians is really where that, that hits home in our lives, too, um, that we either, on the one hand, have the opportunity, as Paul formerly did, to pursue those things that in the eyes of the world would be very valuable, viewed as very uh, righteous and virtuous, or instead we pursue something that in the eyes of the world just isn't going to, to seem to be worth a whole lot, which is a righteousness that comes not from within, but from outside of us. Um, and so I think there, the preaching on this, this second reading from Philippians really gives us the opportunity, not just in our, our view of Christ, but in uh, our, where we get our view of ourselves, where we get our and, and seek after our own righteousness. Is that going to be uh, in keeping with what the world considers to be valuable, or are we going to treasure that which God exalts? That's very helpful. Professor Degner, it's great to have you joining us today. Let me move to you. So Sam, guys have done their text study by now. Um, you have some initial thoughts either about the Greek text or what you see as uh, just the main message for this week. Well, what uh, John was saying, you know, there, there's a natural connection there between what the what the world values, and then what we're what we're tempted to value. And uh, so you see that in, in in what Paul describes here. Um, when when we see what the, the world values or what the world wants to reject, uh, we want to. Uh, we want to live by that so that somehow we can have value uh, uh, to the world or even to ourselves. And, uh, and he just turns that on its head. Um, th this, uh, this third chapter of Philippians, you know, Philippians doesn't, uh, unlike some of the other epistles, there wasn't a big controversy or heresy that Paul had to write against. But the, the third chapter is the one that maybe has a little bit of teeth, uh, a little bit of warning. Uh, about the uh, the people who were uh, the dogs, the ones commanding circumcision, the ones living for this world. Uh, it's set in this letter with so much joy. And I think you so you have a, a reminder that the chasing after the um, approval uh, of the world or approval before God by what I can do and what the world can see, um, that's that leads nowhere good. Uh, but true joy then is found in being found in Christ. Excellent. Joel, let me go back to you. Um, let's help our listeners to start writing. So what are your initial thoughts about how you might handle the parts of this text? So this is a strange question. Um, have you ever thought about what your obituary would say? <laughs> The reason I say that is I, I like reading obituaries. I don't know when I when I read a newspaper, I it's one of the sections I come to. And it's interesting what people, you know, and some of them write their own, will will put as this is what my life was, this is what mattered, this is who I am. And it's just interesting to read. I saw a really long one recently, and I was like, why would this person write such, you know, such a long obituary? And it was 
you know, degree after accomplishment, after this, after this, after this. And I waited for the end, like, okay, where's the part about uh, they died in faith and there's going to be a church service and there wasn't. And I thought of Paul's words of rubbish, you know, rubbish, 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 rubbish. Or, you know, if you want to go a little, little dirtier, I mean, it's excrement. Uh, the thought being that all those things that we might look to, the world looks to, to exalt our own status, and Paul just kind of pulls it all away. And of course, he's not just talking in general. He lists all those things that, I mean, he was like the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he was the, the guy of guys, and, and yet it's nothing. Uh, like Sam said, rather than, uh, we'd rather be found in Christ, having that kind of a righteousness. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I mean, that's, there's some fodder here of uh, that self-righteousness and how, how we find our identity and where we look to um, to make ourselves important. Um, a question I thought I might pose to, to the hearers of the sermon was, you know, what are you striving for and why? You know, why is it that we want the raise? Why is it that we want the status? Why is it that we take, you know, 30 pictures but only post the best one online? Because we're looking for notoriety. We're looking for our righteousness sometimes, and it's not in Christ. So there's a, there's a lot you could work with here, but I'll turn it over to the others to let them pick apart my obituary stuff. Uh, Sam. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the things I do in activity with the students when we're studying this in class is I, I have them boast a little bit like Paul does, right? And we put it up on the board. What would you, if you were writing this section, what, what would your boasting be? And, and it's okay to include things that otherwise are really good on their own. Uh, some of those things Paul mentions, you know, zealously persecuting Christ, not good, but uh, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, wonderful thing. Uh, faithful uh, Jewish family. So, um, so we just, I have them brainstorm and it's a little awkward because they know where this is going, but they, they get into it. And uh, yeah, you know, I um, baptized when I was a baby, never missed a Sunday or maybe at least never two in a row of church. Uh, went to a Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, Lutheran college, uh, come from a strong Lutheran family. Um, you know, all of these things that we might like to pat ourselves on the back on. And those are all wonderful blessings. Uh, and I thank God for them personally in my life. But if in any way we are trying to find our identity before God in the, those things that we do, uh, what, what we are in the eyes of other people, then it's all uh, rubbish. Uh, you said you were going to go dirtier and say excrement. Um, thanks for the excrement. Uh, it's a pretty strong word, right? Um, uh, it's anything that would get thrown out of the house in a, so it's not just like the t-shirt that doesn't fit anymore, but it's the food scraps. It's the, uh, the doggy do in the bag. It's uh, everything you, you check out and don't want to see again. Um, Paul says, if, uh, if any of these things are going to get in the way of my, my true identity in Christ, if I'm going to try to find my, my acceptance or my identity in them, then I, I'd rather have nothing to do with them. John? I, I think a, a really interesting um, opportunity with this, with this text, and it's, it's not even necessarily an either-or, but, but an opportunity for each pastor to, um, based on what he knows about his own audience, uh, kind of choose what, what amount of each of these two things to bring out in application. So we, we kind of touched on them a little bit already. When you look at Paul's list, um, all of it is sort of under the umbrella of what we would call uh, very uh, strictly religious uh, type things. Um, and so maybe, you know, there are plenty of people sitting in the pew where that would be the greater temptation to look at 
some of the similar things that we've been blessed with, as, as Sam mentioned, in our lives, um, and to use those as the, the source or the basis of our righteousness. Um, at the same time, as we look at people who are uh, living in an increasingly secular world, and maybe more and more people who are sitting in our, our pews do not have that, that strong religious background, um, that maybe what resonates or the, or the greater temptation for them is uh, maybe things that are more uh, in the secular realm. So our job, our education, uh, the trophies that we, we win or that the, trof the trophies that our kids win or whatever the case might be. Um, but to realize that just because someone isn't pursuing righteousness through their religion doesn't mean they, they don't have that temptation to pursue it elsewhere. And I think even in our world, as we observe the way psychologists and sociologists try and explain human behavior, that, that concept of righteousness is just coming up everywhere that people are saying, this is why people act the way that they act, because they need a basis for their righteousness. And they're even using the term more and more, I've, I've found, which is just incredible. You know, we get taught in seminary, don't use those big biblical uh, jargon terms, but man, it's showing up everywhere these days, that term righteousness. So, Sam. Thanks for uh, for mentioning that, John. You know the the kinds of things I talked about. Would they 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 accuse me and um, work well for most of my seminary students and a lot of our, our congregations may be in the heartland. Uh, congregations, you know, you preachers out there who are working with people who don't have that same background, like John said, um, it, he's right. There's still a, a almost religious zeal, I think, for righteousness in our world today, and maybe. Maybe it's growing or maybe it's just more on the forefront, uh, but you hear about this in the news all the time, virtue signaling and uh, the, the kinds of um, uh, the show that people want to make of morality. Uh, so it, you, you'll find a, a way, I think, to get to the heart of that problem with your people, uh, depending on uh, what, where, what their background is. Yeah, even, I mean, even if it seems to me that America is becoming more irreligious, that doesn't mean that there, we have less concept of law, morality, or less stressing of zeal, that there's very clearly defined, this is the right way to do things, and this is the wrong way to do things. And we've seen a lot of that in recent years, and, and the zeal as well. Other thoughts? Joel? Sticking kind of with some malady stuff, it seems too, that when you get to verses 12 through 14, that, that Paul's also guarding against being kind of self-satisfied too. So, hey, my righteousness is complete and now I can just kind of coast my way. And and that's not it at all. I mean, you have that really strong runner's language of, you know, straining and, and pressing on uh, towards the prize. And so you see him guard against the opposite right away at the end of this text too. Yeah, uh, and as long as we're we're hanging out in the law, there, um, you know, I, I think what comes through clearly here is that you can't you can't have it both ways. Uh, either you find your your acceptance, your identity in in what you do, and you can list it, you know, whatever your list is, uh, or you are found in Christ. Uh, it's it's really it's one or one of the uh, one or the other, and um, I think one of the temptations for us then is. Uh, even if we know that, to kind of want to have it both ways. Uh, I know, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous in Christ, but uh, um, you know, I, uh, I'm kind of covering my basis here too because I've got all these other things that I did uh, or uh, these these causes that I'm pursuing, 
And it's that, that stuff, it's, it's great uh, for its purpose, but for the purpose of any kind of status before God, it's just worthless. John. I, I think the words, some of the words that Paul uses, the very uh, vivid, intense action verbs that he brings out really in, in both sections, both at the beginning when he's talking about his former life and at the end when he's talking about his life in Christ, just really give people a very helpful way um, to evaluate for themselves, you know, in any given day, any given week, where where they stand. Um, we can all pay lip service to the idea that, as, as Sam mentioned, we have our righteousness in Christ. But when I think about that, that, uh, that verb of pursuing, or when I think of that verb of zeal, and I look at my life, what are, what are the things that I'm hustling after? What are the things that I'm really pouring forth a lot of effort on? What are the things that are maybe stressing me out or causing me to lose sleep? It's not just, you know, pause and reflect for two seconds and say, well, what do I know to be true? But when I look at my life, what are the things that are bearing out in the pursuit and the striving and the, the zeal? Because um, we're all, you know, we're, we're going to be zealous for, for something in life. Um, and it gives us a good opportunity to evaluate what that is. Other thoughts? Maybe so we don't just hang out in the law, we can um, shift a little bit to you know, the gospel. And there are just a number of you know, gospel-rich thoughts and phrases in here. Um, certainly just that, that aspect of a righteousness that's not our own. Um, I think in our confessions, and they call it the, the alien righteousness, the foreign righteousness. Um, that I think there's a lot you can ponder there. I, I thought about the in the Greek too, it packs on the phrase to know Christ and know the power of his resurrection. I, I pondered on that a little bit because a few years ago we did a, a mission statement thing here at church where we had a like a paragraph long mission statement. We we're like, okay, nobody can remember that, although it was really good. And we condensed it down to the phrase, uh, no trust and live for Christ. But if you ask people, what does it mean to know Christ? I don't know if they, they fully grasp that. And this text just unpacks, what does it mean to know Christ? Well, it's to, to know who you are in Christ and to know the power of his resurrection and to suffer with him. You know, so you have Paul even bring up the suffering aspect too. Yeah, thanks for moving us into the gospel, Joel. Um, and I think this is, you, you, it, it, it's hard to miss baptism in here, right? Uh, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, uh, becoming like him in his death. That's, that's so much like Romans 6. That's, that's where we find our identity. I think this is one of those texts where uh, your, your gospel will, um, you'll, you'll, you'll talk about Christ and the cross, but the connection with him, uh, it will come to the forefront, uh, the, your, our, our baptism uh, and how that connects us to his death to our old way of seeing ourselves and our resurrection uh, and the righteousness that we now have from God uh, on the basis of faith. So I, I, I have a feeling as you preach on this, you'll, uh, you'll bring out the power of baptism and the identity, the new identity that we have in that. Joel. Sorry, I actually had a question and, and John Bauer kind of spurred it on a little bit before too and that I was just going to ask the others how do you preach righteousness so the concept of righteousness and I've often tried to preach about it without using the words but now John you have me 
second guessing that when you said use the term more and more, um, but just how you preach it. I mean, I've often gone very legal, you know, the, the, you know, not guilty, the, the declaration kind of stuff, but just curious to hear your thoughts on how you preach that righteousness. So I'll just uh, throw a simple answer out there, I guess. And it, I, I'll give this answer in part to be able to mention the book that it comes from. Cause I think uh, this, this book is a, uh, you know, maybe something, well, it's, it's definitely worth reading for people, but even for a text like this, it's a, a good uh, resource for where people are looking for righteousness, even if they're not super religious people. But the book is called Seculosity. Maybe you've, you've heard of it. Um, and that's, that's kind of the whole gist of the book is if people abandon religion, they still need to fill this righteousness void in their heart. And so here are the places that they might be looking. He, he breaks it down, I think, as, as simply as a, a, a one-word definition that is, is kind of not a word, but a made-up word, I guess. Um, he calls it enoughness. Uh, the sense that you are enough is, is what he describes it as. And I think that just gives something, if you do use that or use something like that in your sermon, it gives people something very relatable that they can grasp on, onto. Uh, yeah, do I, I have this need inside my heart to feel like I'm enough, that I've done enough, that I've accomplished enough, that I've achieved enough, that I've uh, been enough to the the people who are important to me, whatever the case might be, that word enough is, I think, a powerful one. Yeah, I I was going to say just being right. um, uh, I like the enoughness word, uh, John. Uh, Being right, being right with God, being right with the people around you, that's such a powerful um, motivation, right, or powerful desire. Uh, so just being, well, I'm good. I'm good with God. We're, I'm, I'm right with him. Anyone want to pull on or, or give me an explanation or, or, or help our preachers think through the phrase, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, I love the word somehow, attaining the resurrection of the dead. Thought, 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 what exactly is Paul saying there? What does it mean becoming like him in his death? and somehow attaining the resurrection. Uh, I'll take the bait. Um, I was actually, I wanted to talk about that. And uh, I'm curious <laughs> to hear, hear the other guy's thoughts too. Uh, the becoming like him in his death, I, I, I was thinking again of that, um, the dying and rising that happens in the resurrection. Uh, now you have the power of the resurrection mes- me- uh, mentioned earlier in the verse, but then, yeah. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, uh, that shows up, that kind of phrase uh, shows up a few times in the New Testament. And there is always some kind of, uncertainty uh, in it, which makes us uncomfortable here, right? Because uh, Paul in other places is not shy about expressing his confidence in the resurrection. In fact, he does exactly that just a few verses later in the chapter. So um, I think the two explanations that I've heard, uh, and uh, I'm curious which, which you, you would you guys like better, uh, one would be that uh, um, he's, he's showing humility, uh, you know, even what he talks about in the next section, uh, when he says, um, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. You know, it's not me. Christ did it. Um, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heaven word again, God did it. Uh, and I haven't attained it yet. I'm not there yet. Um, so maybe uh, just expressing some humility uh, or the uncertainty uh, in the sense of the, the manner of that resurrection. He knows he'll be raised, but like it's in the future. What when's that going to happen? What's that going to look like? That's what's a little bit nebulous in his in his mind's eye. 
I'm curious what, what you guys think, what you've thought. Yeah, whether it's that phrase or, or as Sam mentioned, the ones that follow, um, there's just, there's some striking language in there that, that Paul uses um, that you'd expect him, you know, you'd expect him to say, this is my sure and firm possession and I, I have it and it's mine and I'm, I'm certain. And he does, he does just the opposite. But I guess that in terms of verse 11 specifically, I've, I've kind of always understood it the second way that Sam mentioned, um, just not knowing exactly what our, our resurrection from the dead is, is going to look like um, and, and what exactly the details of that are going to be um, is kind of how I've always understood that. Just to throw a third thought in there, um, I don't know if it's one that I that I have quite yet, but just that I've come across. Um, Sam, you were talking about the baptismal thoughts. And so then, you know, some have taken that as this would be talking about your new life then, your life of sanctification, and then just trying to continue to die and rise and die and rise and die and rise. Um, so your, your new man rising anew every day, thinking of, you know, part four of Luther's explanation, the baptism. Um, that was one I came across. I don't know if I'm sold on it, but yeah, that's that's interesting. I um, I, I think I would lean toward the other, uh, you know, uh, because of what he talks about next, the prize that's coming, uh, and uh, kind of an, a unique phrase that he uses there to um, resurrection from from the dead, not of the dead, but from the dead, um, uh, out of the you know the group of the dead into into life. Uh, I. Um, I think, John, when I think about those two options that I see in the commentaries, I, I, I would lean toward the one you mentioned, too. Um, there's uh, something expressed there in the Greek that maybe it's hard to get through in English, that a little bit of uncertainty of what it will look like, but not uncertainty about that, it will happen. And I think uh, that that certainty is brought out in the fact that Christ took hold of me, and God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So as you preach on this, you have an opportunity to uh, maybe just briefly address that question that might be in your hearers' minds. That, is this an uncertain thing? No, not at all. Um, there's no question. It's just it has nothing to do with Paul, and it's not. Uh, it's not done yet, um, but it. But it will be. You just threw out a phrase, Sam. That you know, when when guys are trying to figure out how to preach the gospel in a way that doesn't sound the same, every, you know, week after week, week after week, you hear Jesus. You know, he 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 died and rose for me. The uniqueness of that phrase, he took hold of me, has such a powerful picture that you could, a preacher could explore for a little, what does that mean, uh, um, that Jesus took hold of me? Um, that's, uh, that's a, uh, there's some beautiful comfort there. I think in the, in the context of the alternative that he walks through um, at the beginning of these verses, you know, as we think about the other things that we could be pursuing for our righteousness, inevitably we find out how elusive they are, right? The, the second we think we have them, they slip through our fingers, or the second we think we have enough of something, we come across someone who has just a little bit more or who's done a little bit more. And so there's always this, it's, it's not just that we get it in our hands and we go, oh, that's kind of disappointing. We, we can never really even get to the point where we, we can say that we firmly grasp it. And so... Paul flips that on his head and, and says, when it comes to this type of righteousness, it's not even just that I need to lay hold of it and, and with my own power grab onto it and never let go, but really the 
the grabbing on is happening in the opposite direction that Christ is laying hold of me. And that's the, the comfort and the, the essence of that righteousness that comes from outside of us. That's fantastic. Other thoughts? Just to illustrate, if you want an illustration point, maybe you guys have used this one before. Um, the person who's walking on a frozen lake and uh, to walk in next to someone and, and keep slipping and falling. It's a little child holding the, you know, the father or mother's hand and says, I can't hold on anymore. And finally, the father or mother grabs a hold of the child and says, here, I'll hold you and walk with you. So the idea of who's, who's holding whose hand. And I think just sometimes that comfort in our, in our Christian lives and we're like, ah, not what I should be. And no, he takes hold of us. And that's, that's our confidence as we continue our walk heavenward or run. Uh, just one other uh, thing that I'll mention, you know, that being found in him uh, to me is, is a striking phrase too. And um, uh, some, some people say, oh, it's just another way of saying to be in him. Uh, and that, that's possible uh, grammatically. I, I think being found in him to me gives a, um, uh, a beautiful picture of where, again, where my identity is. Right. So I, I can show, I can, I can put on what I want on the outside, hoping that God or the world will, will approve of that. Um, but ultimately that's going to fall short. I, I'd, I'd much rather just be wrapped up in Christ's righteousness, just to be, to be found in him, uh, inside of his righteousness. That's, that's where I have the security of, of life now and eternally. Yeah, it really, it really does uh, just kind of stress that picture of an external or alien righteousness. You know, the the righteousness that comes from the law, you know, it's the picture is like this thing that's going to be bubbling out of me um, that somehow would be enough. But the righteousness that comes through faith outside, but it, it completely surrounds and envelops me and, and hides all of my flaws and failures. Other thoughts? Maybe some application. You guys talked in the in the uh, in the intro about you know your, your the the takeaways. You want them to prize that which God prizes. So as they're walking away, what what's in their head is the thing that they should be pri- should be prizing. Then, John. I mean, I, I think you, you could you could make a lot of applications in a lot of different ways with with a text like this, but when you think about the context of where it falls in the church year. So we're at Lent five next week, Palm Sunday, the start of Holy week. Um, and, you know, if we've, if we've even talked in the sermon a little bit about how uh, the things that we pursue for our righteousness are increasingly secular rather than religious, you know, maybe there's a chance to say, Hey, um, you know, a lot of people maybe come to church next Sunday and then the next time we see them is the following Sunday. Um, there's a lot that happens in between there, between Palm Sunday and Easter. And the events that we are commemorating are the, the very events that Paul is talking about in these verses. It is, it is becoming Christ, like Christ in his suffering, uh, and then the resurrection after that. And so just, uh, you know, in terms of how do you prize what Christ or what, what God prizes, how do you exalt what he exalts um, during the next... 14 days of our lives uh, in leading up to Holy Week and Holy Week. Let's, let's do that by being in God's house. The world is not going to slow down for Holy Week. We can rest assured of that. Um, but we better because it's, it's that important. Well, that's a fantastic setup of our, our next series, which 
you stole straight from your commentary on the proper's John, but the whole concept of we people get the concept of a of holiday, a holy day, a special day, but that there are sometimes when what we're gonna talk about, you just have to pause for the entire week. And yeah, so that, that's a great application. Any others or other thoughts? Joel. I think just nothing new to what John said, but just how easily we are distracted then, even when we do pause. <laughs> um, that you you have this, I mean, I mean, twice in the Greek, I think it comes up in the last three verses of that, um, you know, that press on word and, and how, I mean, it, if you're running a race and you're focused on the finish line, you should be straightforward. But how, how so often in life we just get distracted by this and that. And and even, you know, people who've been in church for a long time, you start putting your righteousness somewhere else or you start, you know, getting a little content. I'm fine. You know, don't need to grow. And I, I think just the distractions are many, too. Uh, someone said once, I don't know there's truth to it, but uh, just pay attention to the news around Christmas and Easter. And it seems like there's so many stories to distract us. <laughs> Not that the stories ever stop, but, um, you know, I always have a few people forwarding emails right around Christmas, like, or Easter. Hey, pastor, do you see this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's neat. But Jesus still lives. Yeah. You mentioned the press on coming up twice in uh, 12 and 14, then it, but it seems to me it bookends then in, in 13, what exactly that, what, it, what does it mean to press on? And there's that twofold process, forgetting, forgetting certain things and then straining after others. And uh, yeah. The, the uh, I'm not a runner, John, you are. So maybe you can uh, correct me on this, but. Uh, You're talking to, the, to this John, right? Uh, <laughs> Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, if, if I know that get and I'm going to get the prize, um, I'm happy to continue the race. Uh, if there's if I'm not sure I can do it, um, I'm 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 bailing out as soon as it gets tough. Uh, that's me personally. That's my dedication to running. You, you see, uh, I, I think to uh, to encourage our people as they press on. We already have that prize won for us. We Christ has already taken hold of us. Uh, that's what's in front of us. What's behind us is uh, all all the things that we set aside. You know, the things that Paul cast out as rubbish. Um, that that's not going to get us anywhere. But what's in front of us is the prize. Um, it, it's ours. So it's a that's a joyful race. It's hard. It's hard work. It's pressing on. It's straining. But um, but we know where it ends. Yeah, I, I've often wondered about this a little bit. Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what types of competitions they had in Paul's day, um, but it seems to me the, the imagery that is is uh, in play when he talks about running a race, it's not a race where you're competing against other people where you have to finish first. You just have to get to the finish line. And so it's not a 100-meter dash you know, on a, on a high school track meet. It's it's a marathon. It's a, it's a a long distance endurance race where yes, there's, there's a winner, but 99% of the people that enter that race have no notions of winning it. The goal is for them. The prize is just to get to the finish line. And so the big temptation is not, you know, yeah. What if, what if someone passes me by, but what if I quit? What if I get distracted? What if I get weighed down and I just give up? Um, And I think there's a, there's a powerful image in there. Cool. 
I know Sam, you had commented how in class you have, you know, the students list those those good things. And I, I think it's worth mentioning that maybe in preaching too, that sometimes we have good things in life, but it's not the best thing, you know, to pursue. And so helping people to see maybe a little bit of prioritizing along the way too, of seek first this kingdom and righteousness or, you know, Jesus, what, what good is it if you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? I mean, it's the, the same words are used here. So prioritizing what matters first. I forget who it was. This might be Augustine, but that it's, it's not just a problem for us to love bad things, but to love good things badly. Um, you know, love them as though the, they're the ultimate thing. Any closing thoughts? Seeing none. Well, thank you, brothers, for helping us wrap up this uh, crushed sermon series. Uh, looking forward to starting a new one uh, next week. Um, Lord's blessings to you, brothers, listening as you begin um, writing what you're going to share with God's people this weekend. Thank you, brothers. Thank you.